I want to talk today about uh, change. I want to talk today about a turning point in our lives. And I want to talk about the one that Peter endured. He's probably one of the most dynamic examples, and he had an incredibly profound part in the Holy Week uh, that we're talking about. And Lord knows the part that he had when, uh, when he changed. So the first part of that is in John chapter 13. And uh, it's just a couple of verses, and we'll, we'll kind of go through several verses in John, John 13, 36. Now, the setup here is Jesus is getting ready to be sacrificed. He's getting ready to be arrested. He's getting ready to be, well, murdered. And so, in John 13, 36, Jesus is predicting the response to his disciples, and in this case, Peter in particular. Verse 36 says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And he's about to give them the I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's where he's going. I'm going to the Father, you know. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe in me also, in my Father's house. Well, that's about where he's going to go. And he's a bit getting ready to talk about that. He's just like washed their feet. And, and Peter is not pleased with this because he doesn't want the Son of God washing his feet. So right there, he's, he, you know, that's Peter. Peter often just put his, you know, speaking of washing feet, he put his foot in his mouth many times and overstated what he planned to do. So that's just happened. And it says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now. Now, I have... I have something profound to take care of, and after that you can follow me, but not now, but you shall follow me afterwards. 37, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? Another Peter statement like, I want it, and I want it now. I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Very familiar uh, verse. We know this story, and we know how it turns out, but I think it's good to remember it and good to visit it sometimes. And so that's where we're going to go today. Redemption, change, getting over some past mistakes and being used by God. Everybody in this room has at one time told God that you were going to do something. And I'm not asking for a show of hands, but you and I both know you didn't do it. Maybe it was in a church. Maybe you walked forward and, and surrendered to this or that. Maybe it was in the pew somewhere. Maybe it was out of a retreat somewhere. Maybe... I mean, you decided you were going to do something that would bless God and maybe life interrupted, other things happened, but the truth is you, you, didn't, you didn't do that. Can God still use you? In years of travel, and uh, in, in, in fortunate to travel uh, most of the world, I was in Germany. And in Germany, in the eastern part of Germany, I have German... Um, background a little. Um, most, a lot of people have German ancestry of some kind. Um, 
Irish, German, those are the very dominant backgrounds of a lot of people in this country, English. So uh, I was in Germany and I was happy to be there. I spoke in Austria. And the end of the trip was in a town named Chemnitz. This is a picture uh, of Chemnitz. It's a, it's a large town, probably a quarter of a million people. And I was invited to speak there. Now keep in mind that for 45 years, Chemnitz was a part of East Germany. It was behind the Iron Curtain. It was behind the wall, because 1945, German, Germany was divided up into four sectors. This is the communist sector. And so I'm there. The church I'm speaking in, this is it. This church was a museum during that time. Took all the religious symbols out of it. They turned it into a museum. That's what a lot of churches did over there. So there had been no church services in this church for 45 years. And in any other churches, for that matter. They're in Eastern Germany. So I'm there, honored to be there. Uh, Chris, my son, and I arrived, and uh, we didn't go to the church first. We went to the place where we were staying. It was a B&B in an old, old, old building, uh, probably four or 500 years. You know, in Europe, if something's not 500 years old, they, it's not old. And so I'm staying in this, this kind of chateau-type thing in a B&B, &B, and so we were ushered into the place, climbed a few flights of stairs because there's no elevators and places like that. And so we are ushered into a room. We didn't even go to our rooms. They took us into a reception area. They have hors d'oeuvres there. They've laid it all out. It's very gracious, gracious uh, uh, hospitality. Un unbelievable, really. So we walk into this room and uh, there are a group of people gathered around the table. They were the committee that arranged for me to come uh, and have this area-wide thing at this church in. So we're in this room, and this, um, this lady says to me, this is her first word, we're so, welcome to Germany, of course, they're all speaking in English, most everybody does. Uh, welcome to Germany, we're delighted that you're here, thank you for coming to Chemnitz. And I said, well, I'm delighted, I'm honored to be here. She said, this is, this is her question, she says, did your father fight in World War II? I said, yes, ma'am. He was in the U.S. Army in World War II. I didn't tell her that he also was in the U.S. Army in Korea and Vietnam. He made all three wars. But this was the first of his career. He was early 20s. He, and then she said this, your father probably fought my father. He was a Nazi. I mean, that's a great start, you know, in Chemnitz. And I said, uh, well, ma'am, that might have happened. I said, but that's, that's kind of history, isn't it? She said, yes, it is. And we are so profoundly embarrassed by all of it. And we're so profoundly sorry about all the things that happened. It was just horrific. And we're, we've, we've spent our lives trying to make up for it. I said, oh. She said, yes. You know, God can even use somebody like us. I said, oh, of course he can. She said, we, we've been praying about this a long time, bringing you here, but we've also been praying about something else we need to, to do. And I said, what is that? And she says, there are children and grandchildren of the Jews who were murdered by our people, the six million who died here that we know of. And this is an area where that happened. We're in Chemnitz, very far eastern Germany, just right on the border from Poland. 
You know what's on the other side of Poland? Ukraine. And so she says, um, we got together and we prayed about this, and here's what we decided to do. We tried to locate Jewish children in this area, grandchildren, mostly in their teen, teens, mostly, and we decided prayerfully that none of them had ever been to the Jewish homeland, Israel. And so we did fundraisers, we raised money, we did everything we could to try to get the resources together, and we sent them to Jerusalem, to their homeland, the homeland of their fathers, and here they are. She said, we went with them as escorts. Here we are in Chemnitz, she said, and we're, they're dancing. I, I, one of my trips to uh, Jerusalem, we were walking down the street with our, our group of people, and there was a, a bar mitzvah. Uh, I've been to bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs and Jewish weddings and very honored to do so. And they were dancing like they dance. And uh, they opened the line, the people who were dancing at the bar mitzvah, and, and welcomed us into the dancing line. So here are these people, primarily Baptists, dancing with a bunch of Jews in the cities of Jerusalem. <laughs> well, these kids are dancing out there, and, and the people who sponsored them and got them there are dancing. And suddenly the dance stops. It stops. And the lady who's filming this and the people who are standing here, and here's what the young people do. They have their hands together like this, and here's what they do. They're inviting the Germans, the children of Nazis, to come and dance with them. And they did. This is being shown to me on a laptop in a reception room in Chemnitz, decades after the, the Nazis killed the Jews. This is their response. Rick, do we have a picture of what is in Chemnitz now in the town square? A picture of the face. There it is. For 45 years, Chemnitz had its name changed by the communists to Karl Markstadt. This is such a massive statue in the city of Chemnitz that they left it in the town square. Tons, tons, tons it weighs. But they left it there as a reminder of what they don't want to be, what they never want to be again. A reminder of redemption. They're trying to make right what they did wrong. Well, let's go back to Peter. Chapter 18, this is what Peter does. 1815 on 9:59. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did the other disciple. This is John who's writing this. The other disciple who refers himself up. Now that disciple was known to the high priest. There was some kind of connection there. He was aware of who he was. And went with Jesus into the courtyard. Now imagine they're in the courtyard of the high priest. Jesus has been arrested. He's inside. But Peter stood at the door outside, and the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to her who kept the door. There was a lady at the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, 
you are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And he answered, I am not. Now, that question is asked in a negative way. You, you are not one of the disciples. Because she doesn't really believe he is, but he's with John. So there's a connection there. You are not one of this very gentle question. Now remember, this is Peter who just earlier had cut off the ear of one of the temple guards that Jesus had ended up putting back on. So a lot of them are really sure that he's a follower of Jesus because they know the story of what happened already. It spread like wildfire. So, verse 19, the high priest, that's, that's the high priest. This, that's who this is. That's where this is. Now, they're standing now at a fire right outside of there. Verse 25, now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore, they said to him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. I'm not the second time. One of the servants of the high priest. Now, this is, this is a servant of the high priest. He no doubt knew the temple guard who had his ear cut off by Peter. And so he's asking the question now, you, you're one of his followers. That's what he says. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him, whose ear Peter cut off said, did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter denied again. And immediately, the rooster crowed. You know, if you go over to the Matthew version of this story, it says that Peter actually started weeping out loud and ran away. No sooner had the rooster crowed than Jesus' words came back to him. Here on this Easter week, you know, we, we think of the resurrection and we should. We think, of, we think of Christ's redemption of the cross. We think of him dying for our sins so that we can begin again. You know, that's what the new birth actually means, beginning again, no matter what age we happen to be. I was 16 when I made that decision. Some of you were considerably younger than that. Some may be older. But that's really the date, that's the official birth date of a believer, a follower of Jesus. So it is about redemption. It is about beginning again. It is about God taking someone who is not worthy to follow him and serve him and live for him and redeeming them so they'll be worthy when this is all over. And it will be over much sooner than we think. So Jesus is arrested. Jesus is tried in a kangaroo court, and Jesus is executed, has been placed in the tomb, and on the third day is gloriously resurrected. Up from the grave he arose, and he did. Now a few days have passed, and the guys have finally emerged from seclusion because they were frightened for their own lives, understandably, and they're out fishing. Isn't that the way to start it for Peter? When Jesus meets him and they, they're fishing and they're not doing very well. You know, there's a fire involved. I mean, there's a fire involved in the, in the upper room because somebody had to cook the things that were part of, you know, I mean, every, well, there's, there's a fire that runs through this entire thing and people gathered around. 
So it says at the beginning of verse 21, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. Now, that's an ancient name for the Sea of Galilee, which is frankly not a sea at all. It's a large lake, but it's the only water they got other than the Jordan River going into it. So it's the Sea of Tiberias. And so Jesus is there, fully resurrected, alive, and he's watching these guys fish. There's a church there. There's a church over the top of everything that Jesus did. And this church is right here by the Sea of Galilee. And it's uh, the church of the primacy of St. Peter. That's what it's called. Now, inside the church is this. It's a rock inside the church, a big rock. I myself have preached several times outside of this church because this is where Peter and the guys are out fishing again and not doing very well. And from the shore, a man yells, you know, do this, put, put your nets over here. Sound familiar from the first story? And they caught lots of fish. So when they came in, they discovered the guy that was giving fishing instructions, who better than Jesus, is there. He's there. And so they use this for a table to have dinner or breakfast. It's breakfast in this case. They're having breakfast. And this table is called the Messi Christi. And that means the table of Christ. That's right there. They preserved it. And there it is in the side of this church. That's why there's just a big rock jutting out of the floor. So here's, that's where they find themselves. They're, they're here and they're, um, they're eating breakfast by the fire. You know, that's where this started with Jesus and them eating and then the upper room eating and Peter denying Jesus by the fire and now they've made another one. They're having breakfast together. Verse 15 of chapter 21, page 963. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, because he wanted to make no doubt whom he was addressing this. Here's what he said. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Most people who interpret this verse think that he's talking about the other disciples. And the reason that's probably important is because the other disciples had said they were going to follow Jesus too, and none of them did, really. You know, they, they didn't. But Peter's the one who bragged, boasted arrogantly, I will never turn my back on you. I will never let you down. I will go to you to the death. Jesus went to the death. Peter wasn't there. Do you love me more than these? He said to him. Your, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Now, there's several words for love, and, and two of them are being used right here, agape and phileos, because Jesus means agape, and Peter answers with phileos, brotherly love, as opposed to the love of God. So it doesn't matter because he, he's going to get to it. He said to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know, I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? 
Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You know I love you. I mean, you know. You know all things, Jesus. You knew that before you asked the question. Yes, sure he did. But he wanted to hear it. He wanted a commitment that would last for 2,000 years so far so that we would know about it, so that we would know that we can serve beginning now, no matter what we did, the failures, the mistakes, all the times we were just not faithful, that we told God something and we didn't, we didn't do it. I want to show you a couple of flags. This is a flag. This is the flag of the city of Chemnitz, Germany. This next flag is the flag of Ukraine. It all comes down to today, really. What can we do to make amends for our past? What can we do to ensure the future? What can we do to serve God? You know I love you. We have to feed the sheep. And you need to ask God what that is for you. During this Easter week, it's all about redemption. It's all, all about starting over again. And I pray by Sunday afternoon, you're thinking about what you can do to make a difference in the lives of the sheep and the lambs. I pray it's a glorious time for you. Feed my sheep.